Let's begin in prayer and then maybe a brief review of, of what you have learned about Deuteronomy in the, over the last few weeks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this morning. Um, we do well to remind ourselves of what, what a blessing it is to, to walk in obedience even in gathering uh, in this Lord's Day to worship you. It's, it's good and it's right that we, we gather. And so we just give you thanks and praise for um, the privilege it is to, to gather to make much of you. I pray as we open up your word, even in this, this hour now, and then as we sit under the preached word in the next hour, I just pray that you be glorified as we exalt your name and as we seek to be, um, respond in faith and obedience to all that is um, commanded of us, uh, the instruction that we find from your word, the, our final authority for all matters of life and godliness. God, I pray you be glorified in our worship. We, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is week three in our study of Deuteronomy. And over those first two weeks, uh, there was a really a, a summary outline given of the whole book and then focus on chapter one. I haven't been able to be here for either of those weeks. It'd be helpful to me, maybe helpful for all of us to just kind of make some observations from insights over the last two weeks in regards to Deuteronomy. Anything that stuck with you about this book so far? Could you say that one more time? A new generation going into the land. Oh, right, right. Interesting. So even a comment like that, that, that a new generation that's preparing to go into the land, there's going to be a, really a transition verse even in the reminders here that we read about in, in chapter 2. Other comments about Deuteronomy? This, this section, we're going to look at chapters 2 and 3 today. And I, I'd, I'd love to be able to walk through, and we'll read through most, if not all, uh, of what we find there and make some observations. But in regards to the structure of the book, what would chapter two and three fall into in regards to how the, the book is organized? Anybody remember? I think... I'm assuming this was discussed, I saw it in the notes, but so, so three sermons uh, that, that Moses is giving, so where would this be? That's right, exactly, thank you for the enthusiasm, sermon number one, all right, we are, we're, we're going to move on from this review real quick, we're just going to get, all right, uh, let's, let's dive into the text, chapter two of Deuteronomy, um, Maybe a, maybe a few comments. If you're just thinking of this, uh, as we walk through, we do well, even just anyone in, as, as Christians in a right relationship with God, those who are as children of God, we would do well. We're often instructed in the scriptures to remember. And so this, this discipline of reminder to observe what God has done in the past that would inform how we walk in obedience to God's commands presently and even the confidence that we would have in what God is going to do in the future, all of that is informed by how God has dealt with um, 
just the world in the past. And so we're going to find similar instruction here that if, if Israel is reminded to uh, think and delight in what God has done, that, that's informing what is about to happen for them as they enter into the land. And so the way that God has dealt, not only even with the way that God has dealt with Israel, in, in chapter two, we're going to see the way that God has dealt with some of these neighboring um, lands. And the way that God has dealt with these neighboring lands should inform Israel, uh, should, should increase their faith, um, establish their confidence in the promises of God. And so we're just seeing certain attributes of God that are true. Um, if, if they're going to take comfort in what God has done in the past, because that's going to inform how God is going to deal with them in the future, what would have to be true about God for, for, for something like that to work out that way. The way that God deals in the past informs how he's going to deal with them presently and in the future. Unchanging is, uh, well, yeah, like just a, yeah, he, he doesn't waver. He, he's, he's faithful to his promises because he's unchanging in character. So the way that he dealt in the past, that's how he's going to deal in the future. Um, certainly it's got to be more than even just, it's not that he's just unchanging. It's like, man, I, I'd love to do this, but I just can't, you know, that, that's not true of God because although he's in, in addition to being immutable, he's also like uh, all powerful. So omnipotent. So he's not going to be, th- his purposes can't be thwarted because he's, uh, all powerful. Um, God can do all his holy will. And so Israel ought to be informed of that as they walk through these reminders beginning in, in chapter 2. So um, let's, let's dive into the text. Uh, as you look, look in the outline, you're going to see really chapter 2 is going to walk through certain reminders of just in these, the, these final wilderness years uh, this from, from Kadesh to Ammon is, is what we'll, we'll read about in, in chapter 2. Uh, so you're going to see this, this peaceful journey that's going to take place through Edom. And actually, this would be a good time. Let's go ahead and throw this map up here real quick. It, it'll probably be visible to um, 25% of the room. Um, I, this is my idea to put this up here, but hopefully it'll be uh, visible to some. So if you're thinking about as they begin to journey, you're going to see this 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 journey through Edom, and then they'll go up through Moab, and then they'll end up um, going through Ammon. And, and so that's what we're going to see. But as you go through this route, some is peaceful and some is characterized by conquest. And so we'll see why it is that there, there's this peaceful journey through Edom, and then this peaceful journey through Moab, uh, let's just even remind ourselves from our Old Testament history. When we, when we look at a land like Edom, uh, these would be descendants of Esau. Very good. So you could go back to Genesis to even see how it is that, that Esau came about to, to um, be placed in uh, this region that he and his descendants are in, in Edom. So then when you find yourself in both Moab and Ammon, where would they, those individuals be descendants of? 
lot. In fact, I, I said, let's go ahead and dive into the text, but let's just dive into a cross-reference real quick. Just go back to Genesis 19, just to be reminded, reminded of the, the scandalous nature of uh, Moab and Ammon's uh, history. Genesis 19, verse 34. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Okay, so turning back then to Deuteronomy 2, we're going to read about uh, the Israelites' journey through these regions. Yes, Gary. I've got a question. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. How or if I'm not able. What's been going on? Can you show us the regions that maybe you don't know? For you talking to what's going on like last See, week? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is, is that where where is that happening now? Okay, so this would all be like so. If you're thinking above the Dead Sea to the right, that's like Trans Jordan, like you know Jordan things like that. So if you're looking. Um, to the west, and you're seeing like Gaza, um, West Bank. Where's that at? Related so, to this? No, that's not the Gaza Strip. Gaza Strip. So then West Bank. West Bank, West Bank, Bank. is, is the northeastern side. Northeastern side of the land. Okay, so up, up top. Okay. All right. So it's kind of close. Or, or so the battles that we'll read about in chapter three are are like uh, see like Heshbon and Rabbah. That's where you're going to see these things with Og and what's his face? Um, or, yeah, Sihon. And uh, okay, but yeah, okay. I've been trying to find a map to. Right. Relate to what's going on over there now, but I haven't heard okay. one that's good. Okay. There, yeah. The Gaza Strip is where Philistines used to be. Yeah. That's right. So then if you're even thinking like Palestine, that would even, even that term is originating, if I understand that right, with just, you know, the, the, the Philistines and the land of the Philistines. And then um, I was even reading about. Crete, <laughs> as far as like original like descendants of like um, the Philist. I don't know. It was interesting to read that as I'm studying this. Okay, so let's uh, let's dive then into Deuteronomy two and read through. Let's let's use that the verse outline that I have um, in front of us just to kind of like let's look at the first eight verses and then and then talk about that first peaceful journey through Edom. Okay. Then we returned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. 
turn northward and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So we went on away from our brothers, the people of Esau who live in Seir, away from the Arabah road from Eloth and Ezion Geber. Okay, so why is this first journey to be one that is characterized by peace? Why is this this peaceful journey through Edom? Because the lion's already promised to somebody. That's right. So it's not theirs. That's right. And the reason that it's not theirs is because you're, you're seeing God's God's sovereign purposes on display. Like this is, this is land that has been, uh, that God is allowed to be given to the descendants of Esau. This is Edom's land. And so they're not to take what's not theirs in this situation at this time. They're not to, they're not to uh, take this land. God has allowed for Edom to be there. And so as they cross through, be very careful, says verse four, do not contend with them, verse five. And here's the basis for, here's what would happen if they were to be disobedient to God. They'd be unsuccessful in any sort of military effort or conquest. The reason they'd be unsuccessful is because God would not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on. So they've been given this command. This is a you're going you're gonna to journey through. You're not going to disturb them. Be very careful. Uh, in fact, even as you journey through, if, if you are in need of provisions, water, food, pay for it. You know? So, uh, so uh, that's, that's the instruction they're given. And they're obedient to, to this command. Um, let's keep going because the 9 through 15, in a very similar way, uh, we're going to see... Uh, the reality is on display for, for this next um, peaceful journey through then Moab, uh, verse 8b, I guess. Uh, and, and nice. We turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for possession, because I have given are to the people of Lot for a possession." The Amim formerly lived there, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also counted as Rephaim, but the Moabites call them Amim. The Horites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and settled in their place, as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. Now, rise up 
and go over the brook Zered. So we went over the brook Zered, and the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook Zered was 38 years until the entire generation, that is, the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. And so here's where, here's where I was saying there's a transition that's about to take place. Uh, verse 16 is really going to represent that transition, but it just was alluded to here in verses 14 and 15. These wilderness years where they've been wandering, um, wandering, uh, it's been discipline from the Lord, judgment on, on them for their rebellion against God's promises. And so there's even, I believe, some level of sarcasm in verse 14, to refer to the men of war. It is, um, it is a helpful term, though, to recognize that the men that were of age for battle, you know, until all of them died off, you know, for the next generation to then go into the land. But also, this description of being men at war, they, they were uh, entirely not men of war. When they, but these guys are big, you know, the land is great. They, they were cowards. Um, rather than being obedient to God. But it, but it is this classification of those who were um, old enough for battle. Now that these men have all perished from the camp, they will now be ready to finally go into the promised land. And so there is going to be some preparation here in chapter 3 for, for entering that land. But again, so verses 9 through 15, you're just seeing the same thing. As they're journeying up, there, there's no issue, there's no incident in Edom because God had told them, don't mess with them. Be careful, pay for what you need. Don't take things and don't take land, you know, even, you know, just don't take anything. It's their land, it's not yours. Same basis here for Moab. Okay, so things are going to change a little bit now though. Um, as, we, as we move through. There's an interesting point. I guess I should look at verse 12 real quick. Look what we're told about Israel. Um, Esau dispossessed, you know, speaking of the land of Eden, dispossessed and destroyed them from before them and settled in their place. So this is Edom, where Esau's descendants settled after they had destroyed the Horites. And then it says, um, after they settled in their place, as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. Well, that's an interesting parenthetical that is given by, by the author here of Deuteronomy. And this hasn't even happened, you know, in, in the history of Israel in the way that, that this is being described here. And so th there's a variety of possibilities here, but I, I do think uh, I, I'm attracted to the idea of just this perfective of confidence would be the way that some would refer to the fact this is going to happen. This land that God has given to Israel is going to be theirs. And so even when you're reading in verse 12, you know, it's saying, as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. So it could just be that Moses is, a, you know, he's writing it with the confidence of what is going to happen. There are other possibilities too for what is taking place in verse 12, but uh, you're seeing God's God's, God's going to do what he's promised he's going to do. And I believe verse 12 is an indicator of that. Uh, let's go ahead and move then to verse 16 through 25. So, 
As soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, the Lord said to me, Today you are to cross the border of Moab at Ar. And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. It is also counted as the land of Rephaim. Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them the Zamzumim, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites, and they dispossessed them and settled in their place, as he did for the people of Esau, who live in Seir. Then he destroyed the Horites before them, and they dispossessed them and settled in their place even to this day. As for the Avim who lived in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaphtarim who came from Kaphtor destroyed them and settled in their place. Verse 24, rise up, set out on your journey and go over the valley of the Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Okay, as we start moving through this last of three of these journeys through into Amon, we're starting to really see some things we're going to learn about God. Because what's going to happen uh, toward the end of this section, we are told, verse 24, that I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Well, the next section, beginning in verse 26, we're going to see why, or why, uh, there's going to end up being a battle with Sihon. And, and the answer is going to be God's sovereignty and Sihon's responsibility. You know, divine sovereignty and human, um, divine sovereignty and human responsibility is going to be on display with the activity that takes place with this particular king. But before we even get to that battle, you're seeing God's statement here uh, this declaration that I have given into your hand, Sihon, the Amorite. So, so the giving this, this land that we actually talked about in Numbers, and we'll get back to Numbers probably in a few minutes. Uh, it's just interesting to see. It's, it's Sihon who makes a very foolish decision. And his foolish decision creates this setting for a battle. And it's going to be disastrous for Sihon, because the Lord is going to give um, the, the Israelites the victory. And the reason that this battle takes place is because Sihon is indifferent. Uh, he is um, unwilling to, to allow for just this peaceful journey to take place through their land. The same peaceful journey that it could, be, it could have looked like Edom and Moab if Sihon would allowed, but, but he, he doesn't. And so it's just interesting, 24 is going to be helpful for us because we're really seeing 
divine sovereignty on display here. The reason this battle takes place is because it was from the Lord. The reason the Israelites win is because it's the Lord's battle. I have given into your hands Sihon the Amorite. But we're going to learn about why the battle happens as we then move into this next section in verse 26. So you're going to be given an assignment here. When we get to 2.26 and following, let's, let's try and observe all the different statements that, that communicate divine sovereignty in, in the events that unfold in 26 and following. And if you're also able, kind of parse out some of the human responsibility that is communicated in this section. Uh, I, I think I even said in the notes, maybe a, a, yes, six times. So actually, this verse, this verse 24 and 25 are the first two of six for the divine sovereignty. So if you just look at divine sovereignty in 24, I have given into your hand. Then verse 25 says, this day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So you're just seeing God's gonna give them the victory. There's gonna be fear that spreads through the land because man, these, these Israelites, they, they destroy uh, in, in the midst of these, these conquests. They, you don't want to mess with them. There's fear that spreads because of Israel's success. But the reason that Israel's successful is because it's in the midst of their obedience to God's instruction. Uh, when, they, when they're obedient, um, there's blessings. And so they are going to have the victory over, over Sihon. I saw a hand back in the back. Yes. I'm just curious if there's, uh, it keeps doing quick, quick asides about the land of the Ammonites and how these people were like large. Is there like a generally understood history there? Of just giants yeah, like, as a reality? Yeah. Man, I bet there'd just be some fascinating studies uh, on that. But yeah, you're, you're seeing the, these, these giants and then you're going to continue to see, you know, that through, through the storyline of, you know, they, they don't need to fear if, if someone is bigger than them, if the city's walls are big. Even you're going to be reminded of some of the times they were scared not only of the size of people, but they were, they were, they were intimidated by how impressive their, their walls were. You know? And it, it doesn't matter because the Lord will give them the victory. So yeah, you're right. These are descendants of giants. And um, it's, a, it's just a biblical reality here. We're even going to be told about the size of the king of Og, uh, king of Bashan, Og. He's so big that, I mean, it's referred to as a bed, but it might actually even be referring to like his sarcophagus or whatever. You're going to see well, how big of a guy he is when, when, they, when they describe the dimensions of, of Og's um, bed. We'll see that in chapter three though. Okay, so let's, let's deal with this section then in chapter two. You're looking for divine sovereignty and human responsibility as we walk through the text of 26 to 37. So, verse 26, I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, with words of peace. You know, it, it's like, this is gonna be the same thing. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna go around. We're not gonna bother you. We're not gonna take any of the land. We're gonna pay for, so just sound good, peaceful, but no. Yes. Where are we talking about? Are we yeah, talking about on the west side near Jordan? So um, the Heshbon is where, I, the way I understand it is both of these kings, they're basically like kings over this whole like Transjordan like area. But it seems that Heshbon is going to, is this might confuse you when they're talking about the, the journey that the people take. But the, I think the battles that are going to go on here are like Heshbon and Rabbah. 
But, um, and there, there's, that's, that's the best I would understand it. Um, that would be, Heshbon would be where he's at, though. Can you see that? Okay, all right. So, 26. I sent messengers, words of peace, 27. Let me pass through your land. I will go only by the road. I will turn aside neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot as the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me until I go over the Jordan into the land that the Lord our God is giving to us. I just pause here in 29. Moses is just being entirely honest and he's saying where they're going and what they're going to do. This land is not of interest to me. Is kind of what Moses, God has promised us the land. I'm going to go over the Jordan and we're going to take the land that is ours. This land, we're going to go through peacefully and we're, we're actually going to like, the Lord has been good to us. And so we are going to like bless your economy. Like we're going to pay for the stuff that we need while we go through your land. Like there would have been so many incentives for this foolish king to allow them through peacefully. But verse 30 says, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might give him into your hand as he is this day. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to take possession that you may occupy his land. Then Sihon came out against us he and all his people to battle at Jahaz. And the Lord our God gave him over to us and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. And we captured all his cities at that time and devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. Only the livestock we took as spoil for ourselves and the plunder of the cities that we captured. From Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and from the city that is in the valley, as far as Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. The Lord our God gave all into our hands. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near, that is, to all the banks of the river Jabbok and the cities of the hill country, whatever the Lord our God had forbidden us. So, um... The Lord gives them the victory. Let's kind of take a moment to note God's sovereign purposes on display. Um, and at the same time, that there's this reality of, of Sihon's responsible for his decisions. Yeah, Bobby. Because this is the first uh, tribe, nation, whatever that God told um, uh, Abraham. They've got to reach the zenith of their of their evil. And that while you're, it takes, takes 400 years for them to reach how evil they're going to be. And this is the time. And the Jews have been told there's going to be a point. You're out of your uh, time of, uh, of slavery. It's going to be 400 years. And the first people that are enlisted in Genesis 15 that they're going to wipe out is the Amorites. So it's, it's, they, they know this. This is prophecy that's being fulfilled, too. So it goes way back. Wow. Interesting. Genesis 15, 16 is where you list for So. Um, other comments show me somewhere where you see it's not like Sion's like man I would but uh, sounds great but it's not really 
what I'm allowed to do. Like you see Sihon doing what he wants to do. Any, any example of just Sihon as a king doing what he wants to do? God made him that way, but he did what he wanted to do anyway. That's right. Right. Yeah. So both both are both are happening at the same time. But yeah, he's uh well, the, I mean, the very first, just verse 30, you see in Sihon, the king of Hezbon, would not let us pass. What? Why did this happen? Because Sihon wouldn't let him pass. Why did Sihon not let him pass? Because God had hardened his spirit. Uh, verse, verse 30, it says both. Sihon wouldn't let him pass, and the basis for it was God's sovereign purposes. He hardened his spirit. Uh, later, verse 32 um, Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to battle. I don't see, I don't think you're seeing some hesitancy here from Sihon about this sure seems like a bad plan. You know, I wish I wasn't doing this. He's doing what he wants to do. He comes out to battle. He's had victory in the past. He's got a whole lot of human wisdom here to think we're going to be all right. Uh, this, I, I'm a pretty seasoned warrior. We're going to, again, take the victory. Uh, that's what he's thinking. And so he has no interest in these, these people coming through his land and crossing the Jordan because they're ultimately going to be a threat to him. So he wants to eliminate the threat. That's Sihon's perspective. But the reality is the whole reason it all takes place is because the Lord hardened his heart. This is going to be according to the sovereign purposes of God um, for, for this to take place and then even to allot this land uh, in light of the conquest that acquires the land. So, so this is what happens to this particular king. Um, we can move into chapter three. Verse one. Then we turned and went up the way to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edrai. But the Lord said to me, don't fear. Do not fear him. For I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So the Lord our God gave into our hand Og also, the king of Bashan, and all his people. And we struck him down until he had no survivor left. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city that we did not take from them. Sixty cities the whole region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these were cities fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides very many unwalled villages. And we devoted them to destruction, as we did to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, devoting to destruction every city, men, women, and children. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as our plunder, so we took the land at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan from the valley of the Arnon to Mount Hermon. Uh, the, Sid the Sidonians call Hermon Sirion, while the Amorites call it Sinair. Well, you know, that clears that up. Verse 10, all the cities of the tableland and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as Selica and Adri, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, for only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. It is not in Rabbah of the Ammonites. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? Nine 
cubits was its length, and four cubits was its breadth, according to the common cubit. So uh, it sounds to me like in reading about the cubits, we're talking that, you know, 13 feet by six feet uh, because it's a big guy. So, so King Og was big. He's a descendant of the Rephaim. He's, he's a giant, but he's not to be feared. Just like Sihon was not to be feared. And the reason they're not to be feared is because the Lord would go before them. He would give them the victory in this battle. Was it, somebody raise their hand? No. Okay. Um, yes. Is it Joshua that is he's saying me, I'm doing this, I'm talking to them. It's Joshua, right? It's not Moses. No, this is still, yeah, Moses, but... Um, Moses wrote Deuteronomy. Right, right, right. Isn't it Joshua that's leading the... Not, not in these, not, not in the midst of, of this. You're, but you're about to read about Joshua in just a few verses. Um... What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One other thing. Um, look at uh, verse, verse 36. Speaking of the height here, um, there was not a city too high for us. The Lord our God gave all into our hands. I was reading one guy just pointing out, Moses is careful with his words here. And so when he talks about there was not even anything too high for us, just go back to chapter 1, verse 28. And just be reminded of what was so fearful, uh, a source of fear for, for the Israelites. Um, where are we going up? Verse 28. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the peoples are greater and taller than we. You know, like Og would be in that category of that this, this is a different event. But I'm just saying, just as much as Og would be uh, characterized by somebody who's just greater than them, you don't have to fear Og. Same reason you wouldn't have had to fear, you know, any of um, the Canaanites. Verse 28, uh, the cities, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And so, so Moses is very much connecting uh, the, the fear in 128 that's expressed by these cities are fortified with really tall walls. And then in chapter 2, verse 36, uh, Moses is saying the exact same thing that um, from the city that is in the valley as far as Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. I don't care about your walls. Like is what Moses is saying. We, the Lord is going to give us the victory. So there's nothing too tall, no one too big, regardless of the size of their iron bed. Okay, verse, verse 12 then uh, of chapter three. So these battles take place, n- numerous cities. All of it is now been, been, this conquest has happened. They have, God has given them the victory. And so then in verse 12, you start reading about this allocation of, of this land. What's interesting, we studied this in Numbers 32. This was, this was an interesting, because there's, there's two different angles. I, I think Deuteronomy kind of comes at it one angle that's a little bit helpful here in understanding what actually was taking place when we read about it in Numbers 32. Because I think we were kind of frustrated with the people of God in Numbers 32. They're going to be, you know, they're on their way to the promised land. And then you have certain tribes that are like, man, this is great land uh, to raise livestock, we'd love to just, can we just have our allotment here? And we, we kind of wrestled with, was this wise? Was this honoring to the Lord? Moses was okay with their motives is what we saw back in, in Numbers 32. But really, I mean, you're really seeing the, the whole context for why, why this land was to be allocated was because it was according to the sovereign purposes of God. He was going to give them the victory over 
um, these kings, and it was, then they were going to have this land, take possession of this, and then he's going to distribute it to um, those whom he chose. Verse 12, when we took possession of this land at that time, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory beginning at Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and half the hill country of Gilead with its cities. The rest of Gilead and all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, that is, all the region of Argob, I gave to the half tribe of Manasseh. All that portion of Bashan is called the land of Rephaim. Jer, the Manassite, took all the region of Argob, that is Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites, and called the villages after his own name, Havath Jair, as it is to this day. To Makir, I gave Gilead, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave the territory from Gilead as far as the valley of the Arnon, with the middle of the valley as a border, as far over as the river Jabbok, the border of the Ammonites. The Arabah also with the Jordan as the border from Chinnereth as far as the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea under the slopes of Pisgah on the east. And I commanded you, verse 18, at that time saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. So just pause here again for a reminder. When, when God gives them this trans Jordan land, these particular tribes, uh, the motive could not be for them to have to skip out on the battles as they enter into the promised land and, and, um, and, and take the land that God would have for Israel. And so you're being reminded of this command that, that if the, they're given this land east of the Jordan, but they're still, these men of war are responsible to go in with the people of God and to um, battle uh, to in obedience to God's commands. So verse 18, all your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the cities that I've given you until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you. Um, look how many times in this you're, you're seeing like the Lord giving, giving, giving. You know, the land that I gave you, the land that I gave you, the land that I gave you. It, it's listed multiple times here in this particular section um, four times. So, so God's provided and that they would do well to be obedient to him. Let, let me just skip ahead to verse 22 where it says, you shall not fear them for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. All right, let's, let's finish this section and then we'll jump into verse, chapter four next week. Verse 23. Mo, uh, well, I said, let's jump down to 22. Gary, to your point, I, let's, let's see Joshua enter here. Verse 21 of chapter three, 21 says, and I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. This is to be a lesson for Israel. These, these battles that take place, these are to be a lesson for Joshua as well. He's gonna be this leader. He's gonna lead them in. And, and he needs to be mindful of what took place against Og and Sihon. Verse 23, And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Uh, don't be confused here by verse 24 that uh, Moses is very much the monotheist. That's going to be very clear in chapter 4. 
certainly would be clear throughout Deuteronomy to see what Moses knows to be true about the one true God. So here when he's referring to the, when he's comparing them, comparing God to them, the, the false gods, uh, he, he's not deny, he, denying this, this reality of there's only one God. He's, he's just contrasting the one true God with all of these false gods that these, these pagan nations worship. So he says, for what God is there in heaven and on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? There's no one. God is unique. That's one of the themes I think we were, um, that was pointed out to us week one. Uh, so God alone is um, all powerful. He alone does such works, such mighty acts. Verse 25, please let me, this is Moses, verse 25, please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But, verse 26, the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah, lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he shall go over at the head of this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. So again, Moses is forbidden to enter into the land. It is an act of grace where God allows him to look and see. In fact, this is going to be what he does in his dying days would be to look out um, and see the land that God has given to Israel, but he is not going to go in. And the Lord would have no more conversations about this. Verse, uh, verse 26, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again, is what God says in verse 26. So, so he is forbidden, but he is um, allowed to look. In fact, you, you are just seeing the, the, even just the worship taking place from Moses' mouth the way he begins this request that he pleads with the Lord, he's speaking very highly of God, who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do. And he, but he, he desires to go into the land and he's not, it's going to be consequences. Yes, Larry. I just want to point out that the location is marked on the map there. Oh, zooming in. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. All right. Thank you. To look out and see. All right. So, we will jump in then next week uh, to chapter 4 and continue in this, this study. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are faithful to your promises. What a comfort that was for Moses, uh, the people of God, the nation of Israel, to, to know that they could trust in your promises and um, what foolishness it was for, for them to walk in disobedience rather than entrust themselves to their faithful creator. So God, we give you all the praise and glory for what we even read about in these chapters to see um, these victories and the, these conquests because it was according to your purposes. You had brought it about and you would be glorified through such activity. God, uh, we delight in worshiping you. There's no one like you, as Moses even reflects here in, in this section. You alone are God, and you are alone almighty, 
and you alone are great. And so we do well to praise you for those truths. Pray that would characterize the worship that takes place as we go from here. Uh, We do love you and thank you and praise you. I pray that as we study this book, that we would grow in our love for you as we're able to grow in our our knowledge of you as we, we see your character on display through your mighty deeds. Love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.